Welcome to Social Work Insider Podcast. My name is Harlani Vasquez, a licensed social worker and social work career coach. This podcast is the go-to resource for my fellow social workers to become the best version of themselves. Each episode, I'm going to share different mindset, entrepreneur, and career tips for you to implement towards your professional development. Are you ready? Let's go. Enjoy. Hello, my fellow social workers. So I know it's definitely been a minute. Let me tell you, July, I went a bit MIA, you know, starting a new role and I ended up getting sick. So I definitely needed to take care of myself, but I am so excited to be back because the months of August and September, we are going to come with so much value here on this podcast and we're going to end season one with a bank. So make sure to tune in starting August 2nd. We're going to be having new episodes every other Monday until the end of September. Let's do this. Hello, my fellow social workers. Welcome to another episode. And today I have the amazing Ariana Rosen, who is a career strategist aide and a recruiter for social workers. This is so exciting because you all know that when it comes to networking, marketing yourself, it's so important to first listen to it in the eyes of a recruiter. And of course, as you all already know, I have also recently stepped into the world of recruiting. So I'm so, so excited to step into this episode. Ariana, welcome. I'm so happy to have you here. My goodness, Harlene, I couldn't have introduced myself any better. Thank you so much for having me. I'm ecstatic to be here. And I cannot wait to get into the nitty gritty of what it is our recruiters are looking for in a resume of of a social worker. I'm so excited. Absolutely. I'm so excited too, because, you know, as some of you guys may know who are listening to this, a lot of the things we probably did not learn in social work school. Yes, social work schools have career services and all of those things, but they never really go into debt as to how you should feel going into the job market, how to make yourself marketable, and just really trying to navigate the job market itself and really make yourself competitive. So, Ariana, I definitely want to right away dive in into talking about what goes into the everyday today when you're currently looking through social work resume some of the do's some of the don'ts I would definitely like to start the conversation there absolutely and something that I want to mention first which I'm probably now that you're going to agree with is your licenses it is so important that you highlight your licenses in your resume, even if you're still waiting for it, if you pass the exam and you're still waiting for your license, it is so important for you to have it there because you have no idea how many people sometimes I just feel like I need to pass on because they don't have their license listed on their resume. And so I'm assuming that you're not a licensed social worker and knowing the delicacies of being a social worker, specifically in the states that we're in, I'm in the state of New Jersey, just so everyone knows, and that's who I recruit for. You are not allowed to practice or see any clients or families or youth or any any type of people that you want to work with if you don't have a license. So it is very, very, very imperative that you put your license in there, whether it's an LSW, an LAC, an LPC, or an LCSW. Um, and then if it's pending, just say that it is pending in the resume because I still want to talk to you. We have plenty of opportunities within my agency for people to start out as behavioral assistants and be able to step into the clinician's role once they receive 
their license because behavioral assistants don't need a license per se. Some of them have certifications and what the difference is that they get paid a little bit more. But you can start out as a behavioral assistant, especially for all new graduates in 2020. They have been done such a disservice because, you know, what happened with Corona, um, there's a lot of back there's a lot of backup, right, for the board to be able to approve these licenses. And so there's a lot of people who are waiting months on end after they pass their exam to receive their license number, which is so frustrating, I would assume, for social workers after going through all that schooling, all the studying, and actually sitting through the exam and passing it and not being able to get a job, which is so, so frustrating. So what I tell my candidates is that if they have gone through the exam and they're waiting for it, we have the flexibility in our agency to offer them a role as a behavioral assistant starting out and then contingency upon them receiving that certification or that license number, we then convert them into an actual clinician where they can start right away with families and seeing clients right away which is what people are looking for, right? So it is very important that you put your license in there because I hesitate as a recruiter to pick up the phone and call you if you haven't taken the exam or if you're not licensed, just because we're unable to hire you if you're just fresh out of school with no plans of taking the exam. So that's the number one thing that I want to say about that. And I would be so happy to hear your thoughts on that, Harleni. Absolutely. I mean, I completely agree. Like I mentioned, you know, I recently stepped into recruiting myself and I definitely can say that if you currently do not have your license listed, we're not mind readers. We're not able to tell if you have a scheduled or you currently relocating or you currently are licensed in certain state. As Eliana mentioned, she's currently recruits for New Jersey and then I currently live in New York. The license do vary, but you can still practice, you know, on 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 a certain state with certain credentials and permission. So another thing when it comes to your resume, don't be afraid to add relocating to, you know, blank state or currently licensed in this state or that state. Yeah, you have to make the recruiter's life easier and being able to highlight what you have or what you don't have and just highlighting basically your next steps because it's coming from a place and I know most agencies not all do offer a limited permit or sometimes like Ariana mentioned they will hire you with the current expectations that you'll receive this in a period of time so it's very important to just really put all the information to be able to make your job search process even easier. A hundred percent. And I know it can be intimidating, especially for my fellow fellow social workers who currently are still studying for the exam or have not recently passed. My heart is with you. I definitely want to say keep on pushing through because your time will definitely be your time. And, you know, I definitely want to also dive into, you know, basically those are all the logistics when it comes to resume. But let's talk about when you actually speak to social workers and what are some of the things that you're currently trying to find in that ideal candidate for your organization? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Harleni. And, you know, once we answer this question, I would love to go back and kind of dig a little bit more onto resumes because I've seen, let me tell you, some awful resumes out there. And I'm like, oh my Lord, I can't even find somebody's <laughs> contact information. I can't even find when they graduated because, you know, in order for you to be a 
a clinician with us, you have had to had your master's. So sometimes it's difficult for me to guess that. So we'll, we'll get into that. But I am so happy that you asked, you know, the things that we're looking for in a clinician. And I'm going to be referring to my social workers as clinicians, just because it is the name that we have within our agency. And to be more specific, what we call them is intensive in community clinicians or intensive in-home counselors. So usually what we do is we pair up a social worker or a clinician with um, our families. And we love to call our families, you know, caregivers and youth because we do work with kids that are ages from three to 21. Um, a lot of our population in New Jersey varies between, you know, the ages of 10 and 17 or so. That's usually the population that we serve in our communities. And we are looking for people who are very passionate about building relationships, not only with the youth themselves, but with the caregiver, right? Because when you are working with minors, you have to also understand that you have to have a relationship with the caregiver and the person who's caring for that particular child. And sometimes, you know, when you go into these homes, most likely you're going to have to do some parenting coaching, you know, teaching those parents how to put in place some resources and support systems for that youth. So that, you know, at the end of the day, the social worker is working yourself out of a job, that is the goal, right? To not have them rely on you for the rest of their lives. You are a potential um, crutch in the meantime mm -hmm. to help them put those resources in place and that support system that the youth need in order for them to correct whatever behavior it is that they need correcting. So we are looking for people who understand that, that it's not just the youth that they're working with, but also doing some coaching on the parenting end. We are looking for somebody who has a lot of understanding when it comes to having healthy boundaries. And I know that you, Harleni, talk a lot about that on your social media, about having boundaries, not only for yourself, but for your mental health, right? Protecting your energy and understanding that you are there to have a professional relationship with these people and not to, you know, spill your guts out and tell all your personal stuff to other people because you are there to receive, right? To receive that information. But we at Savia, and that's the name of my agency in case people are wondering, uh, it's called Savia Community Counseling located in Lodi, New Jersey. We pride ourselves in having a amazing team of supervisors to make sure that we are providing the resources necessary to our social workers, specifically for the newer ones, people who have just graduated that never really had any clinical work in their experience, because you know it can be intimidating. This type of work can be hard and can be very difficult to put those boundaries in place, to realize that you know this youth really likes me, they're telling me all this stuff, like I feel like I should share things too. Um, and if you're doing it in the sense of building trust, of course, that's absolutely okay. But really knowing where to stop, where is that line that you're going to draw with the family and the youth to make sure that you're not giving too much of yourself and also learning that sometimes it's okay to remove yourself from situations where you don't feel comfortable. So we are looking for people that although might have just graduated from grad school or have just kind of taken the exam to really have that sense of boundaries in their mind because it is something that cannot be taught, right? It's something that we cannot train you on. So we are looking when I'm interviewing for people, I would throw, you know, wild card questions out there <laughs> that I say, listen, it's not a wrong or right answer. I'm just trying to sense your ability to put boundaries when you are meeting people for the first time. So those are the main things that we are looking for uh, when it comes to a candidate. Obviously, the profile of having 
everything that we need, requirements like your, your masters and your licenses. But when it comes to the particular individual itself, those are the things that we are looking for. And most importantly, we are looking for somebody who's coachable, right? Because we are providing you with the support system that you need to be able to be successful in your role. And that is why we do supervision. And that also counts towards your clinical hours, specifically for people who are looking to have those 3,000 hours, right? In New Jersey, at least that's how it is for you to go for your LCSW. Or if you are an LAC and want to become an LPC, we also provide you with those supervision hours for clinical work. So that is something to keep in mind that we can absolutely help you put together the pieces of the puzzles to be able to be successful in your career. But there are certain things that you just cannot teach people, right, on how to be coachable, how to have boundaries. And sometimes I feel like people get better at setting boundaries, but you have to have that ability to be open to feedback on, okay, I think that you could have done better with your boundaries here and be okay with that. So those are the type of people that we are looking for, people who are open to really give everything they can to the community and understand that this is going to be a relationship that is going to have a lot of impact in someone's life and really seeing the work that way. It's it's really going to speak volumes to me when I am talking to somebody on the phone. I know that was a huge answer and very <laughs> long-winded, but I just get super excited when I talk about this stuff. And um, I just get static when people ask me, okay, what it is that you're looking in a candidate? So those are the main things that I usually look for when it comes to potentially having a successful candidate become um, an employee of ours. No, absolutely. And I love how you broke it down. I mean, basically, this conversation is to really get an understanding of what, you know, especially a social work recruiter is looking for that ideal candidate, which, you know, anyone currently looking for clinical roles, especially working with this population is going to be very similar. So make sure to take notes. And I know as well, don't worry, everyone, I'm going to be sharing all of Eddie information and the agency for all of you be able to reach out if you feel that you qualify. But I also want to take it back to a place of I totally understand you know basically being a new recent grad or currently having experience in the field and feeling like okay I don't know how to set boundaries I want to make sure that I don't burn myself out and you know based on what Ariana mentioned that her organization overall provides that supportive supervision that is something crucial and is important and it's amazing that your organization offers that because as you know many organizations do not and it's most important to really first get the level of awareness for you to know where do my current strengths best aligns and where are those areas of improvement right being able to be coachable and let me tell you I've definitely had my share experience being in the field especially starting out in foster care so I definitely understand and I've been there being able to learn the hard way of what those boundaries may look like right in order to prevent and overcome burnout as you currently try to navigate the path and of course not saying that when you step into a social work role you're going to be burned out but if you don't know how to put those boundaries early on it can lead to that so it's coming from a place if you're able to understand yourself from this particular point even prior to applying for a job you're going to be better in the long run right because if you're able to have that sense of self and that level of awareness then you're going to feel more confident within right and as we know confidence sells and if you're able to show up to the interview then you're going to be able to be more marketable right everything mm -hmm. connects and everything is so mm -hmm. relatable <laughs> 
Yes, for sure. And, you know, with I'm listening to what you're saying, Harleni, and um, I know that our listeners cannot see what we're doing, but we're nodding at each other like, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, love it. Uh, something else that I wanted to mention as well is, you know, humbleness goes a long way. You know, I think that understanding that people who are in this field and in this, this type of work are in it for a specific reason. And you can sense that. You can sense when people really are in the work, when they really want to do it. And it's not because they just went to school, they didn't know what they wanted to do, or their parents forced them to go back to, you know, do their master's. And it's like, oh, this seems easy enough, right? Like being humble about it can really go a long way for you. Because again, humbleness goes hand in hand with being coachable and being aware of what it is that's happening around you. And also taking that feedback that you're receiving from your supervisor or, you know, a senior clinician that might be giving you some advice. I know that sometimes deliveries of feedback might not be the best, but I think that what we all need to take away from it is the actual message as opposed to the way that it's been delivered and really taking it with a grain of salt and realizing that, you know, we all start from zero, right? I understand that every single entry-level job can be intimidating, especially for this type of work. The way that we do it is that when we hire you, you are starting right away to do your clinical hours. So you have clients and families and youth waiting for you to give them this, this, um, this, this help and this support. You know, we have a lot of families who come to us when they're in crisis. So we do need somebody who's going to learn how to kind of pick the ball and have it rolling, right? But that goes without saying that you will never be on your own. And that is something that I absolutely loved about my agency and the reason why I decided to join them is because we do have the support system around them to really give them everything they need and beyond so that they don't feel unprotected, you know, out in the world, like, oh my goodness, what do I do? We even have a lot of our clinicians, senior clinicians and director, they are on call, even on the weekends and after hours, so that when you feel stuck and have a question or have one of those situations where you feel, should I call the authorities? I don't know, because, you know, a lot of the people that we help and provide support to are minors. So we do have to make sure that if we come to a home that you believe it's, you know, you're having some sort of abuse or something that you're confused about because you're new and you really don't know if it's a cultural thing or it's something that you just need to talk out with somebody. Let's say that it's eight o'clock at night because that's just what worked for the family. You have the option and the opportunity to call one of our supervisors and the clinical director to really just talk it out and say, hey, this is what the situation is. This is what I'm thinking of doing. What are your thoughts? So that you don't feel like it's on you and on your shoulders to make such a harsh decision or a decision that might potentially change people's lives. And that is a huge responsibility to have on you and in your mind. So having someone else who has been there, done that, really tell you, I don't think it's a situation where you need to call right now, or it is an urgent situation you must call. At least you have that sense of security of like, okay, I'm not seeing things. Like I explained the situation to somebody who's senior to me, somebody who has been doing this for a long time. And now I feel much more confident at realizing that, you know, I saw the right thing and that I'm okay to go ahead and call the authority. So that is something that, you know, when I first started in the agency, it was, I was reading everything that we were doing, the policies and everything. And I was scared myself and I, I don't have to go into the family's homes. But as soon as the, cl the clinical director told me, no, 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 you don't have to do any of that. Like on your own, we're here to support you. If you have any questions here, where to call. And then when I saw that they have on call time, I was like, 
oh yeah, we got this. <laughs> like really having somebody that you can call to at any time when you feel confused or you don't have an answer to, that's just so comforting for you when you're first starting out because it's hard to make decisions on your own when you're first just out of college and you're expected to make all these big decisions, but you have the support there to do that. And so the way that we assess if that person is going to be okay to work for our agencies, have that coachability aspect of it um, and being humble about the way that you speak and the things that you say. Something else that we do talk a lot about is being culturally aware Um, Having cultural awareness in this type of role is huge because, again, we are so ingrained within the community where we're going to be handling and supporting people from different backgrounds, immigrants, people that don't speak English. Um, And so having that openness in your mind of realizing that we all come from different places and being open-minded about someone else's opinion, in this case, the families, is going to go a long way. So really understanding that we should see the beauty in everything Mm -hmm. and not always just look at the negative. It's really going to go a long way because we emphasize what's called a strength-based approach. So we look at the skills that the youth and the families already have as opposed to the shortfalls that they might have and how they can utilize those skills to convert the situation that they might be in, the crisis that they might be in, into a most into a more positive experience for everyone involved. So having that cultural awareness of where you're not just in your little bubble, in your little world of this is just what I think and it's the only way to think is going to go a long way. And the way that we assess this is by asking what's been the most difficult case you've ever worked on. And if you don't have experience, we usually go uh, with a hypothetical. So we just present a situation that might happen with a youth or the family and say, how would you handle this? Or what is the first thing that would pop into your mind? And so having somebody who says like, oh, I'm not going to Jersey City because you know everyone that lives there is such and such. Like, Having all of that in the interview can be a turnoff for me as a recruiter because that means that you don't have cultural awareness. And being understanding of that is going to be huge because, again, the strength-based approach is our badge of honor to really understand that we are here to support people, that people, again, are coming to us in a crisis, and we don't want to make them feel worse about it. We don't want to be saying like, oh, well, how come you just took so long to come to us? Or, um, you know, how come your child had this issue? Or maybe you're just a bad parent. Like, we don't want to be judging people, right? Because they are vulnerable. They're coming to us and they're asking for help. So we want to make sure that we are allowing them to be honest and open and not shy away from asking help in the future. So those are the type of things that we are looking for that are intangible, right? That I cannot read in a resume, but those are the main things that I would want to hear in an interview of people who who want to work with us and that carry that value and mission already within so that we can then, you know, it's easy peasy after that. You know, we already have a lot of the cultural fit. And after that, we can literally work with you to just train you on our policies and procedures, but you kind of can go with the wind. (laughs) 
No, I love it. I mean, really taking the time to paint that picture of what your organization stands, the mission, the values is just so amazing. And, you know, it's also going back to remembering, like you said, your why, right? Especially as you're currently mm-hmm. navigating the job market as a new grad, it's so important to never lose sight of your why because you're able to show that passion, that hunger in the interview. It's going to make you more of an ideal candidate when it comes to a- answering those difficult questions rather than you trying to just check off a list right because that's something that you know especially we're both being recruiters is something that when we currently yes on resume there's only so much you can say but in the interview is where you currently shine right Mm -hmm. when you currently have the opportunity to really display that you are the solution to their problem you are the solution to helping their families in need right regardless of what population you serve or regarding what role you're going to step into that aspect of the interview is always that how can you be the solution to them and it's also something that I I also want to step into you know going back to our previous conversation right because I know we will go self-passionate you know going back to the resume aspect I mean I've definitely seen a couple of resumes that sometimes, like you mentioned, they don't have the school <laughs> identified. Sometimes there's six pages. Sometimes it's just a complete mess. Like it's only a six second scan. And this is something you can also elaborate regarding your particular practice. But I know when I currently review it's six seconds, if I'm not able to identify whether you're licensed, you know, um, how, when you graduated, or if you currently have this experience or this experience, I'm going to move on. And it's crazy because sometimes, you know, people, put so much pressure and just so sometimes people don't even put in work in the resume right you're like okay well sometimes you want to get the interview right so mm-hmm. what are some of the things that you have seen in your current practice mm-hmm. yeah no I agree and so before I answer that question I do have to say that right now is a wonderful time to apply for jobs specifically for social work in particular, because it is an essential job, right? It's essential regardless of what's happening in the world. Even 2020 proved that to us that needing social workers is always going to be there. So really understanding that the ball is in your court. You just have to help us find you, right? Um, if you're out there, please help us find you. But to answer your question specifically, yes, I, it depends on the volume that I'm getting um, at certain times. There are moments where I take a whole minute to review a resume if it's interesting. So the, the word interesting can be very loosely utilized. And I'm, I'm saying it with all intents and purposes. But if I see a specific summary that says, you know, a certain amount of years of experience, you know, working clinical hours or working in the field. What type of field have you worked in? What type of population have you served? I think those are the main things that you should probably put in there. That's if, if you have experience. If you don't have experience, you have to lead with your education and your license mm-hmm. because it means that you haven't really done the clinical work. You haven't been in the field as much. Maybe you've done, you know, internships here and there. Well, you should also uh, highlight too, I always say that internship yes. experience is still marketable. Yes. Well, you know, um, I'm not sure how it is in, in New York, but in New Jersey, at least for Rutgers, and I believe that you graduated from Rutgers, right? Um, Fordham, Fordham University. Fordham, Fordham. Mm-hmm. So Rutgers, I do know that for Masters of Social Work, you have to have an internship, otherwise you won't be able to graduate. All schools, yeah, all social mm-hmm. 
course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you don't have experience, a lot of people tell me, well, I don't have, I don't have experience. Like, what do I put on my resume? Well, there's so many internships, first of all, and life experiences that you have had that can go in your resume. But if you don't have experience at all, what I want to see first off in all resumes, regardless, I want to see your name, right? That's the first thing that I want to see. I want to see your email address, for the love of God, please give me an email address. A good one, not no. A good one. <laughs> not, you know, cool beans 45. No, I need your name and last name at whatever, Yahoo, Gmail, Hotmail. I don't know if people still use Hotmail, but hey, to, to it's its own, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and a phone number. You have no idea how many people apply and they don't have a phone number. And then- Or emails get bounced. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah, so I email people and say, hey- or, oh my God, this is even better, Harleni. If you are applying for jobs, my social workers out there, and a lot of them happen to have this, your voicemail is full. Oh my God. And I cannot leave you a voicemail. And it's like one of my pet peeves, like, oh my goodness. So I usually do follow up with an email regardless after I leave you a voicemail. But if I'm unable to leave you a voicemail, it's just, it's awkward to send an email when you haven't received the phone call. So it is very important that if you are applying for jobs, make sure that you are clearing your inbox in your voicemail. And to make and sure that you have a, a timely manner too. <laughs> yes. And have it be professional. Okay. I don't want to hear something weird on your With voicemail. With music in the background. Yes, <laughs> exactly. I want to know who you are, state your name. And if you are already working in the field, I do know that a lot of people say, hey, you have reached such and such. If this is an emergency, please hang up and dial 911. I've heard a lot, a lot about those. So that's totally cool. And okay, if you already are in the field working, a lot of people work independently and just, you know, work with different agencies. So that's something to keep in mind as well. After that, if you don't have experience, I would love to see your school. So, you know, your master's go first, then your bachelor's, and then your license. Or you can even put your license on top because if you have the license, we have to assume that you already have your master's. So you can go ahead and put your license and when it was obtained. And if you're still waiting for it, just put in parentheses pending. So at least we know that you took the exam and that you're just waiting to get that number. And then moving on from there would be your experience, right? So if you've done some internships here and there, I think it's very important to lead with that experience of impact. Mm-hmm. What impact have you had in the community? What impact have you had with each of the clients or families that you have worked with? Uh, what impact have that has in your life? If you believe that you've worked as an intern and have done just, you know, mostly admin stuff and you haven't really done clinical work, it's important for you to talk about the impact that you have received from working in that industry, in that area, in that agency with what, whatever other supervisors you've worked with, right? It's important to lead with impact because this work it's about building relationships. And when you build some, a relationship, a meaningful relationship with somebody, specifically with a youth or a family or whoever it is you're working with as a clinician, that person is going to have some sort of shift in their lives, right? If you, if you, as a social worker, you are there to help them shift their lives from, you know, addiction or situations that they just get themselves into because they're young and they don't have a mentor to really teach them the way. You are there to be that role model for them. So when you are able to make that relationship happen and really help them switch that situation around, I think that's extremely meaningful. Like, and even I'm talking about it and I get goosebumps because it is so meaningful, the things that people are doing in this industry. And 
it's important to brag about it, right? Especially on your resume. Your resume, you have permission to brag. It is your marketing badge and you should absolutely put in there everything and anything that you have done that has provided impact and meaningful change in somebody's life. So that's what I want to see. So I don't want to see, you know, handled um, or wrote out 50 notes about meeting. That doesn't tell me the impact. I want to see how many youth and family have you worked with? What was the result? How did you start with them? How did you end it? And obviously, don't put names and stuff because that's HIPAA violation. But I just want to see the impact that you have had with the people that you have worked with. And that is what's going to make me pick up the phone and call uh, to be able to talk to you a little bit further. And most importantly, you can also, if people, I don't know if people are doing this right now, Harleni, but that's, you know, a little bit of a tip that I have under my sleeve that I want to share with your listeners. It's if you have a recommendation from somebody who you have worked with, put it in your resume. That's awesome to have like a really nice quote at the bottom of your resume before your skills, right after your experience. Working with Harleni was the most meaningful experience I've ever had. She's somebody who really cares about the community and her work and whatever else they want to put in there. And then you put the person's name and the agency or the place that you worked at with them and their title. That is so meaningful. It is a recommendation on your resume that can really speak volumes of you as a clinician, as a professional, who you are in the office, you know, the, t- the type of personality you have. And that gives me just a snapshot of what it could be like to work with you. Because at the end of the day, we hire people that we like, right? Um, it's a lot to do with vibing with you, to having a similar personality, and really understanding that you are going to care about the same things that I care as a person hiring you. So it is very important to have that in mind when, specifically for people who don't have experience, right? They were like, well, I can't fill out a whole page. Well, there you go. You can put two, one to two recommendations on your resume and bam, you have filled out a page and you're welcome to apply after that. <laughs> No, absolutely. And I love the idea. You know, it's really, you know, people hire people, right? And sometimes Mm -hmm. we get so lost when, you know, most people, most candidates really get lost and just showing like their everyday tasks. But instead of tasks, talk about accomplishments, right? The goal is always to get the hiring manager, the recruiter to call you to get to know you to a, on a personal level, right? Because it's coming from a place of don't get so stuck on, you know, what you do, but more of like what impact you can bring, like you mentioned, you know? And I mm-hmm. love that we have discussed so far, like when it comes to the great mission and the structure for your organization and what you look like, especially when it comes to the eyes of a recruiter, the do's and don'ts of a resume. But I also now want to tap into when it comes to interview process, right? Like what are some of the do's and don'ts that can be beneficial to, you know, any social worker right now that's currently listening? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think really, I think the first thing that I'm going to talk about is the humbleness of things. And that that's just big for us at Savia. Being humble and being coachable is the one thing. The second thing that I can think of is that when you don't know an answer, don't say, I don't know. Oh my God. I don't want to hear that. If you really don't know what to say, you say, you know, this is a really good question, Ariana. Do you mind giving me a few seconds to collect my thoughts and think of a good answer for you? That's a much better way to say, I don't know. 
because it just makes me think that you wouldn't really be dealing well with a situation that you might have to think on your feet, right? And that happens a lot for social workers. Like there's certain things that happen that people say or do right on the spot that you have to be able to think quick on your feet. So if I were to ask you like a curveball question, and you really don't know the answer to it, usually if it's a curveball, most likely there's no wrong or right answer. What I just want to know is the way that you process your thoughts. What it is exactly that you're thinking, what, what's your critical thinking skills like, and how well do you handle unknown situations? Because you know, most likely when you go see a family or a youth, you might not know what they're gonna come up with. Or if there is a crisis happening right then and they're in front of you, how are you gonna react? So instead of just reacting, I want you to be proactive about the things that you are doing and really Mm -hmm. thinking through the answers that you're giving. And it's totally okay to take a pause and say, Hey, um, you might, that's a really good question. You mind giving me a few seconds to collect my thoughts or, Hey, I'm taking a few notes. Let me just jot down my, my thought process real quick. And then I'll, I'll get back to you in five seconds. Is that okay? Most likely the recruiters will say, absolutely. Take your time. No worries. We're not going to rush you. Something else that comes to mind when it comes to interviews is that it's important to slow down when you are speaking. I know that we can be very excited about what it is that we're talking about. And that can be kind of counterintuitive though, because I do speak really fast as well. (laughs) But sometimes it's important to kind of take a pause and try to slow down. Because sometimes when we speak very fast, it can come across that we're not confident about what it is that we're saying. And sometimes we have too many thoughts, which is my problem. My problem is not so much the confidence, but because I have so many ideas that I want to talk about, I just peer out everything that comes to my mind instead of organizing my thoughts before I actually speak. So it is okay to talk slower. It's okay to take pause. It's okay to say, I'm thinking about it, or do you mind rephrasing that? In the moment that the recruiter is rephrasing the question, you have a few seconds to kind of think through the answer that you want to give. And when you are asked a question that you don't know the answer to, most likely they don't want an answer. They just want to know how you're going to react. Because if somebody said, I don't know, for me, that's very reactionary, right? Of frustration maybe is coming through because you don't know an answer. And showing those type of emotions are not really a good sign for somebody who wants to be a social worker or somebody who, who is a social worker. Because you have to be, you know, cool and collected and you have to remain calm, you know, in situations, let's say that you are working with a family and they confess something that's very traumatizing for them. I don't want you to like react that way because it's just going to make them feel even worse about what it is that they're going through. And they're going to feel like they can't trust you because it's saying, oh, you know, she reacted this way. So I don't even know if I should be telling her this or she's making it a big deal or she's being dramatic. So really a good personality trait that a lot of social workers have, which I've been, I've seen a lot of successful candidates have is being able to really be calm, cool, and collected when they are prompted or asked a but it seems to be a weird question, but sometimes we just want to see how you react when you're put in a situation where you didn't expect it. So that's something very important to keep in mind. Something else is to be on time. <laughs> <laughs> this is so uh, moronic, I guess to say, but 
being on time is so important because it speaks about your professionalism and how serious you're taking the process and how you respect other people's times. Specifically, because as a clinician, you are going to be upholding appointments with your families and youth. So we want to make sure that you are respecting the family's times and vice versa. You're respecting your own time as well, right? So being on time is very important. And sometimes coming into an interview at the time that it was scheduled, that's late. You need to be there between five and 10 minutes before ahead of time. No more than 10 minutes because it makes the person feel pressure that they have to entertain you. Sometimes they might be wrapping up another meeting, so on and so forth. But 10 to five minutes, I think it's perfect timing because you just sit there. You don't really have a lot to do for 10 minutes. It's going to fly by. And it also gives you time to collect yourself, especially if you're commuting somewhere now that things are kind of going a little bit, go back to normal where people are seeing interviews in person. You have time to collect yourself. You know, if it's a hot day outside, you're not kind of coming all sweaty because you have time to kind of pat yourself down, use the restroom, drink some water, and just kind of get your resume ready. That's something else. You should always bring a copy of your resume. Not required, but I think it just, you know, it can make you stand out a little bit more because we do have a copy of your resume, but it's nice that you're prepared to say, hey, I have a copy of my resume if you need it. Sometimes they might say, no, I don't need it. I already have one. But you can pull it out and use it as a reference for yourself when you are talking about your experience. So those are the main things that I can say, you know, for somebody who doesn't really have a lot of experience interviewing or people who are just getting out of school and trying to get into the field. And always treat everybody you meet as sort of the CEO because you just never know um, who you're meeting and what opportunities can come from that. And also if you are a jerk for a lack of a better word to the receptionist or the security guard or whoever, that's not really going to be a good sign because it means that you only care about status or you only care about, you know, whoever can give you the actual results. And I'm putting your quotes as I, as I say that. So always be kind, humble, and, alert about who's around you and be a nice human. <laughs> That's all we're asking, you know, be nice. And I, I think it's um, not even necessary for me to say that because if you're a social worker, I know for a fact you're a nice human. For you to do this work, you have to be a nice human. But just with saying it out there, just in case, um, and every single person I've been so lucky, every single person I've met so far have been super nice, super humble, and people that really want to do this work. So it's so, so exciting to be in this in this agency for sure that's so exciting i mean you're definitely sharing so much gems and i definitely say you know also from my own own experience you know definitely also being a social recruiter and previously being a social work supervisor and interviewing staff you know it's definitely coming from a place that i also want to highlight is don't be too honest and when it comes to your own emotions and what you can handle because i've seen so many situations they're like you know i like when they say you know what are some of their biggest challenges or what is something that you can tell me about yourself and people say you know i get too emotional i have answers like that or i'm not able to handle you know direct criticism very well like do not be so honest when it comes to those things because you don't want to put any red flags to the recruiter or the hiring manager about your ability to do the work right like there's a there's a difference between you being aware of that and knowing like hey you know i i thrive on having that support and supervision rather than saying like like don't put no emotions right because i something that i definitely wanted to handle and you know and going back to everything that you stated is so so crucial to just be yourself as well and be humble and just be overall like letting 
being able to market yourself in the in the way that shows that you're able to bring that passion that hunger and be that solution as i mentioned before ariana i mean this has been so amazing thank you so much for for sharing so much gems i also now want you to list some of the current openings that you have where people can find you and don't worry my fellow social workers i'm going to be sharing all of her information in the show notes, but I'm so excited to, you know, have this conversation because it's definitely so needed right now. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Harleni, for giving me the opportunity to jump on to this amazing podcast for all of your listeners. So we currently have a few openings. And before I even say the names, we have opportunities for full-time staff, part-time staff, per diem, and independent contractors. So if you're interested in any of those, um, I'm your gal. And again, just to reiterate, I work in New Jersey, and we do look for people who are licensed in New Jersey, uh, specifically in the northern area of New Jersey, and uh, currently we are interviewing for intensive in community counselors or intensive in home counselors or licensed social workers, people who have their LSWs, their LCSWs, LACs and LPCs. So those are, um, of course, if you have an LPC and LCSW, you are fully licensed with your clinical hours. But if you are looking to get to the next step from an LAC or an LSW, our agency is really going to provide a lot of resources for you because we do give you a state-of-the-art supervision. We have individual supervision hours every week, as well as a group supervision, uh, two hours um, every month. So that's where you get to see your peers and speak to them and kind of bounce ideas of each other as opposed to having one-to-one with your supervisor on a weekly basis when it's just yourself and the supervisor and that really goes towards your clinical hours is something to really keep in mind because a lot of agencies actually charge people for that Mm -hmm. and we provide that as a benefit so it's something that you should absolutely check out i will be providing all of the details to her learning to leave in the show notes like the job posting my information to contact me directly my linkedin profile and what exactly we would need from you like your rest resume and technically that's it you know your resume show up with your resume and that is something that I can absolutely make work on our end we actively are recruiting at the moment and there's really no closure for us so we are recruiting audio year round because we do get so many cases on a daily basis that we are always adding staff to our list so if you're interested in any of that and are interested in giving back to your community in New Jersey we are the people to call Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. And absolutely, you heard her, my fellow social workers, loud and clear of all these amazing opportunities. If you're currently in the New Year's New Jersey area, making sure that you reach out to her. And again, thank you so much for your time. And as you all heard her loud and clear, make sure to continue showing up for you. Always remember your why and keep thriving and pushing through. Till next time. Thank you for tuning in on this week's episode on the Social Work Insider. For more resources, feel free to check out my website, yourevolvemind.com. That's all for now. Till next time.